Hallelujah. Welcome to the mission, our Wednesday night Bible study. Tonight we're going to be in the book of Genesis, um, and we're trucking right along. We are in chapter 43. We're um, looking at the life and story of Joseph, but in Joseph's narrative and his story, we have seen a whole lot about some of his brothers and the dynamics of uh, familial relationship, the dynamics of learning about forgiveness. Somebody say forgiveness. Um, learning about repentance. Everybody say repentance. Remember, repentance means to turn, right? To stop and turn. Um, so we, we see a lot of this appearing in the Old Testament. And these are biblical principles that Christians are meant to um, understand so that we can apply them to our lives. We can walk in them because ultimately it's Jesus who has taught us what it means to be a follower of the Most High God. Jesus being the Son of God, he demonstrates for us and lives by example. So I'm really looking forward to the study tonight. I'm going to need some of your guys' help. We're going to be reading through chapter 43 of uh, the book of Genesis, and I'm going to ask for volunteers to come up and help me read here on the microphone that we have down in front. But um, praise God. How are we all doing, you guys? Blessed? Doing good? How's work? Work is work. Hallelujah. Praise God. Work is work. How's school? Some of us are in school, right? Trucking. How's, how's parenting coming along for, for those of us who are parents? You guys doing a good job? Auntie mom over there, right? Uh, we all got our hands full, right? Those who are parents. Um, but praise the Lord. Um, in a day and age where lots of folks want to um, cause us to redefine or to rethink the word of God and, and or how to live the, a life of a Christian, we have to know and have um, a resolute commitment to the word of God. And the resolute commitment to the word of God is that we understand the word of God as truth. And when the word of God is truth in your life and in my life, it has nothing to do with whether or not we like it or not. God's word is truth, but God's word also should bring us to the place of recognizing where we have to make adjustments in our lives, right? Because making adjustments in our lives demonstrates that we're living a life of obedience with Jesus. And living a life of obedience with Christ is very, very uncomfortable sometimes. But have you ever done the hard work? Have you ever allowed yourself to be uncomfortable? And then when you look back, you can say, wow, praise the Lord. My life has taken a completely different direction. When we, li when we live a life where we're walking in obedience to the Lord, we don't have to be looking over our shoulder anymore, right? We don't have to be living in, in guilt, under shame. We don't have to be living the kind of life that we're not so um, displeased with. But when we're walking in obedience with the Lord, it is such a blessing because we see the fruit of walking in disobedience. We can see the fruit in our lives. Amen? So as Bible students tonight... 
Um, I'm going to ask you all to stand as we go into um, a time of prayer just for a few minutes. And then I'm going to ask for some volunteers that are going to help us break down chapter 43. We're going to read it in its entirety. And we have 34 verses. So maybe we'll, we'll have seven people that read um, verse, five verses apiece. The last person maybe just reading four only. But... Um, Praise God. Let's let's go to the Lord in prayer. And I want to just I want to encourage you to take whatever it is that may be heavy on your heart and just leave it here at the altar right now. OK, just leave it here at the altar. Um, it doesn't it doesn't belong uh, on your shoulders. It doesn't belong on your heart. It doesn't belong um, in your mind, preoccupying yourselves with things that that are troubling us. We have to give those things to the Lord. We have to entrust them into the hands of the Lord. We have to do our part, and then we have to let God do his. Amen? And that's the, tr that's the trust and the walk of faith that God's called all of us into. Praise the Lord. Let's pray. Father, we come before you tonight in the name of Jesus, and we ask, Father God, that you would um, be with us as we, we dive into the Scriptures. Tonight, Lord Jesus, on this 21st day of February, Right, we're right at the, the the middle point of this month, or towards the end of it, but we're moving right through since the turn of the of this new year, Father God. Um, it's been a tremendous, tremendous time. It's been a tremendous time and and commitment and walk with you, Father God. We thank you for what you're doing in our lives, Lord. We want to ask that you will continue to be merciful, be patient with us, Father, but bring us all to the place of conviction. The place of conviction where we allow the word of God to bring that change in our lives. That we're not comfortable, Father God, with areas of our lives that, that, that are not reflecting you, Lord Jesus. But that we would be uncomfortable. We would be uncomfortable, Father God, with the place that you have us in. Because you want to bring about a greater result. You want to bring a greater fruit, Lord Jesus, from our lives. So we thank you, Father. We love you, Lord Jesus. We lift up those who may be feeling sick, those who are under the weather, Lord God. We ask that you would just um, strengthen them, Father God, in their body, in their mind, in their spirit. Lord Jesus, we love you and we bless you, Father God. And we pray all these things in the mighty name of Jesus and the people of God said, amen, amen. amen. Give God a hand of praise, church. You, you can go ahead and, and have a seat. I want to I welcome back my mother-in-law, Mama Mo, back from Nigeria. God bless you, Mama. Raise, raise your hand right there, Mama, right there. There's Mama Mo. God bless you. Come on, church, let's do better. You can do better than that. Let's welcome Mama Mo back. She was gone for just under two months there with her family and taking care of business and, and sharing the word of God with her friends and her family. Um, but, but her family here in, uh, in L.A. missed her like crazy. And we, we had a we had a chance to to bring the crazy the craziness and the crazy party over to her house last night, um, especially with our daughter Lola, our seven year old. She definitely brought the party. But it's good to see you, Mama Mo. I, I speak on behalf of our church um, when I say that we missed you, we missed your presence, we missed your smile, we missed just the way you just love um, everybody. And and she's so faithful. Mama is so faithful. She's faithful to her women's ministry, the Bible study groups. Um, she's faithful in serving the Lord 
um, and, and she's just a woman, um, an exemplary uh, woman of God, and, uh, and we love you, Mama Mo. You're one of the pillars of this house. Let's give Mama Mo a round of applause and, and thank God for his goodness, his protection over you, Mama Mo. Uh, <clears throat> man, you know, in the Word of God, it, it talks about Moses being one of the most humble men in the Bible. Uh, when I think of Mama Mo, I think of one of the most humble women that I have ever met, and that's my mother-in-law. Praise God. Amen. Yeah. Um, okay, so I need seven volunteers, all right? Um, and you're going to help me, and you're going to participate in bringing the Word of God tonight. And you seven can line up right here in the front row, right here in front of the microphone, all right? And you're going to take five verses apiece, all right? Since Sister Stephanie, you came first, you can, you can step up. You can read verses one to five. Hang tight just in just a second. You, you, you can be right there, but don't start yet. We got Mama Carla. It's Genesis chapter 43. We need, we need um, five more volunteers, okay? All right, good. We got four, five. We need two more. I need a couple. I need. I need some brothers. I need some brothers. We got some of the sisters are already. Yeah, brother Matt. I need one more. One more person. Yeah, of course. We need one more person. One more. One more. One more brother. One more brother. Who's 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 ready? Who's who's gonna read? Who's gonna be the seventh person? Pastor T, give it up, you guys, for our volunteers tonight that are gonna help us um, read through the scriptures. Okay, and this is where my father taught me. When we read scripture, especially in public, read it slowly, all right? Read it loudly. Go ahead and project and focus on reading the scripture. We don't have to take on a different dynamic when we read the scripture. We just read it and let the word of God carry itself. The Bible says that the word is a lion and it can defend itself. So we're going to allow the word of God to be read tonight. It's going to be delivered. If we said amen after the last person read, we could all go home knowing that the word of God was, was taught, was, was brought to us as bread. But then the Lord says, go ahead now, expound upon it, okay? Expand upon it and let the word of God then take on a different dimension as we consider the scriptures. The Jewish tradition is midrash. Midrash is commentary about scripture that's been around for thousands of years. Well, we in the Bible have our own form of Christian midrash, where we are commenting, we're teaching, we're talking about and discussing the very word of God. Mama Carla, you want to come over here right after Sister Stephanie? That way we keep the order. Um, and then after you guys read your portion of scripture, you can stay up here until the last person is done, and then we'll all go ahead and take our seats, okay? So let's see if this microphone is on. All right. Come on up, sister. It's good to see you, sister. Amen. Go ahead and introduce yourselves, you guys, and then go ahead into the scripture. God bless you. My name is Sister Stephanie, and I'm going to be reading the book of Genesis, chapter 43, verse 1 through 5, the New King James Version. And the word of the Lord says, Now the famine was severe in the land. And it came to pass, when they had eaten up the grain which they had brought from Egypt, that their fathers said to them, Go back, buy us a little food. But Judah spoke to him, saying, The man solemnly warned us, saying, You shall not see my face unless your brother is with you. If you send our brother with us, we will go down and buy you food. 
But if you will not send him, we will not go down. For the man said to us, you shall not see my face unless your brother is with you. Amen. Good evening. Um, I'm Miss Carla. And Israel said, why did you treat me so badly by telling the man that you had another brother? And they said, the man asked us straightforward questions about ourselves and our relatives. He said, is your father still alive? Have you another brother? And we answered him accordingly. How could we possibly know what he would say? Bring your brother down down to Egypt. Judah said to Israel, his father, send the young man with me and we will get up and go so that we may live and not die. We as well as you and our little ones. I will be security for him. You may hold me. Be responsible for him. If I do not bring him back to you and place him safely before you, then let me hear the blame before you forever. For if we had not delayed like this surely by now, we would have returned the second time. Hi, my name's Rick. Then their father Israel said to them, If it must be so, then do this. Take some of the choice fruits of the land in your bags, and carry a present down to the man, a little balm a little, and a little honey, gum, pistachio nuts, and almonds. Take double the money with you. Carry back with you the money that was turned in the mouth of your sacks. Perhaps it was an oversight. Take also your brother and arise. Go again to the man. May, go, may God Almighty grant you mercy before the man. And may he send back your other brother and Benjamin. As for me, if I am bereaved of my children, I am bereaved. So the men took his present, and they took double the money with them, and Benjamin and Benjamin. They arose and went down to Egypt and stood before Joseph. Amen. Amen. Job. Job, Rick. Um... Verse 16, Joseph saw that Benjamin was with them. So he said to his servant, who took care of his house, take these men to my house. Kill, kill an animal and prepare it for a meal. Then these men will eat with me at noon. The servant did as Joseph told him. He took the men to Joseph's house. <clears throat> the brothers were frightened when the servant took them to Joseph's house. They thought he was brought, he has brought us here because of the money that we found in our bags last time. Someone put it there before we returned home. Now he wants to punish us. <clears throat> he will take us to be his slaves. He will take our donkeys too. So the brothers went to Joseph's servant they spoke to him at the door of Joseph's house before they went in. One more? Oh. Okay. They said, please, sir, the first time we came here, we
We came to buy food. Amen. <clears throat> From verse 21. But at the place where we stopped for the night, we opened our sacks, and each of us found his silver, the exact weight, in the mouth of his sack. So we have bought... So we have brought it back with us. We have also brought additional silver with us to buy food. We don't know who put our silver in our sacks. It's all right, he said. Don't be afraid. Your God, the God of your father, has given you treasure in your sacks. I received your silver. Then he brought Simeon out to them. The steward took the men into Joseph's house gave them water to wash their feet, and provided fodder for their donkeys. They prepared their gifts for Joseph's arrival at noon, because they had heard that they were to eat there. Amen. I'm Matt Shriver. When Joseph came home, they presented to him the gifts they had brought into the house, and they bowed down before him to the ground. He asked them, how were they? And then he said, How's your aged father you told me about? Is he still living? They replied, Your servant, our father, is still alive and well. And they bowed low to pay him honor. And he looked about and saw his brother Benjamin, his own mother's son. He asked, Is this your youngest brother, the one you told me about? And he said, God be gracious to you, my son. Deeply moved at the sight of his brother, Joseph hurried out and looked for a place to weep. He went into his private room and wept there. Amen. Hi, right, Pastor T, Tell Total. Verse 31. And he washed his face and went out and refrained himself, and said, Set on bread. And they set on for him by himself, and for them by themselves, and for the Egyptian, which did eat with him by themselves, became the Egyptian, might not eat bread with the Hebrews. For that is an abomination unto the Egyptian. And they said before him, the firstborn according to his birthright, and the youngest according to his youth. And the man marveled one at another, and he took sent mess <clears throat> unto them from before him. By Benjamin, mess uh, was five times so much as any of that of theirs, and they drank and were merry with him. May the Lord bless the hearing of the word. Father, we thank you for the reading of your word. I thank you, Lord, for um, your servants, Lord Jesus, who partook in the reading of this word, Father. May the word of God be the event that we have gathered around tonight to study, to learn from, Father God, and ultimately, Lord Jesus, to draw us closer to you. Lord Jesus, the word of God is alive in us. The word of God is truth. The word of God is our portion. The word of God is our, our meat and bread. The word of God is living water. 
And Lord Jesus, may the very word of God bring change and transformation. And may it be power, Father God, unto salvation for him or her who believes. We pray this in the name of Jesus and the people of God said, amen and amen. Give God a hand of praise. Mission. Hallelujah. Thank you so much, people of God, for this wonderful, wonderful reading of the text. And in the last several weeks, you guys, we've been studying the life of Joseph. But how many of us know that Joseph, Joseph's life um, can only be known and understood as it relates to his relationship to those around him? We've seen that in the beginning of Joseph's life, he um, received dreams. And then God gave him the interpretation of dreams. Then he was sold into slavery by his brothers. All right? Before he was sold into slavery by his brothers, there was even a brother who wanted to kill him. And one of the brothers spoke up and said, hey, let's not kill him. What, what good would that do anybody? Let's just sell him. And then the dynamic and the relationship between Joseph and his, his master, Potiphar, who purchased him at the slave trade or the, on the slave, slave block. Right? Then he's thrown into jail. And there's relationships established there. There's dynamics with the prison guards, right? All the, all the way to the point where Joseph's ability to turn to God because of his relationship with God and the gift that he had through revelation was able to interpret dreams that ultimately brought him before Pharaoh, the king of Egypt, to interpret the dreams that Pharaoh had. The dreams that Pastor Koba talked about last week in the fact that there was seven, uh, seven cows that were coming out of the water, all right? And these cows that were fattened and, and uh, good looking were swallowed up by seven lean, scrawny, ugly looking cows, signifying that there would be seven years of plenty and then seven years of famine. And who other than Joseph? was able to give the remedy or the solution to Pharaoh as to how the Egyptians would use this insight, this knowledge, this revelation from God, that he revealed himself to Pharaoh, you guys. And revelation to Pharaoh, someone that biblically we would understand as not being a follower of God, not being part of the chosen people, but a vessel nonetheless that God used in order to redeem or save Israel. And God used Joseph, one of the sons of Jacob, as one of his instruments, okay, to not only bring deliverance to Israel, to the people of Israel, but also strengthening the position that Egypt had in the world at that point in time. A very significant thing that we see in Scripture, the way that God's hand is not only upon his people, but also upon others that God would use, all right, to push forward the agenda of the Messiah, to push forward the agenda of God himself, all right? He, he uses all kinds of people, all different nation states, different rulers in order to bring the word of God, okay, into the center of the, the public eye in order to lift up himself. So it's tremendous. And now we're reading about this story of 
The second journey that Joseph's brothers are making from Israel down to Egypt. Okay, so we're going gonna, gonna to ask some questions. What's the reason why at this point, you guys, given the background that I just offered, what's, what's the reason for the brothers having to go back and forth from Israel to, to Egypt? They've run out of food, right? And Jacob, their father, what has he instructed his sons to do? To go back and get some more. Go back to Egypt. Go down to Egypt, okay? Take some money and go and purchase some grain and bring the grain where? Down to Israel where they were experiencing this famine because it was a massive regional famine, all right? It's kind of like um, this 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 regional, um, they're calling it atmospheric rivers that have been plowing through the state of California, moving its way on eastward. How many of you guys are enjoying the rain? I know I'm enjoying the rain, but it hasn't come without some headaches. It hasn't come without some hard work. Um, if you would have come about eight hours ago, you would have um, pulled up to the shores of Lake Ebenezer once again. We had a massive pool, and I'm praying that God will help us remedy that situation. And I want to thank God for our men here at church. I want to thank God for Pastor T. Let's give Pastor T a round of applause for his hard work. I want to thank God for Coach Elvis Arroyo. Let's give Coach Elvis Arroyo. I want to thank God for Raul Arroyo. Give Brother Raul, one of our head engineers, a round of applause. Santos Velasco, let's give Brother Santos a great big round of applause. Um, Pastor Cesar Campos, let's give Pastor Cesar Campos a round of applause. And then Brother Frank um, Garcia tonight, he helped us put away the, the, the pump and, and uh, the drainage system. So I want to I thank our brothers for doing that. Well, um, we're getting ready to put in a sump pump. And we're going to run the drainage so we can shoot that water out and it can it can push out automatically when it hits to a certain level. So just pray that God is with us there. Um, but the, the reason why I got on, onto that whole thing is just because sometimes God allows things to happen regionally. All right. And the famine that was taking place regionally affected a whole bunch of people. The, the whole Egyptian civilization, that whole empire, right, that dynasty. And then, of course, smaller people groups like the people of Israel who are still a, a, a budding people, a, a people that were just starting to begin to grow, all right? They, they hadn't become a, a big, massive people yet, but they were, uh, they were um, a formidable group, all right? They were, they were large enough to be able to, to wage small wars uh, with other small, small, um, small kingdoms, all right? And, and Israel wasn't a kingdom yet, wasn't a kingdom at this place. However... The lineage of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob had already started to take on shape. All right. The people that were from the people of Israel had already understood their neighbors, their neighboring kingdoms, and the neighboring nations had already started to recognize this people that was established after this man named Abraham, and then his son Isaac, and then Isaac's son Jacob. All right. So the, the faith in the people of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob were such that they began to reveal, revere and look at the lineage and the anointing or the favor that God had on over, over Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob such that people close 
to the center of, of their tribe would understand the significance of carrying on this lineage. Are you tracking with me thus far? Okay, and we're going to learn about that and how people had started to position themselves in such a way that they would be able to attach themselves to this namesake of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. In chapter 43, verse 1, it says, The famine was still severe in the land. So when they had eaten all the grain they had brought from Egypt, their father said to them, go back and buy us a little more food. But Judah, everybody say, but Judah. But Judah said, everybody say, but Judah said. Okay, Judah has a lot of things to say. Let's go to chapter 37 and let's look at another portion in scripture where Judah said. Judah, my, my, um, my middle child is named Judah. And his name Judah means praise. Okay? In Hebrew, you pronounce it Yehuda. Yehuda. All right? And the word praise comes from the fact that his mother, um, Leah, when she gave birth to him, she was thinking that this was going to be her last child. She had already um, popped out several. All right, and so this in, in the portion of scripture that we read of, of Leah giving birth to Judah, it said, and she praised God once again. And that's where he gets his name, Judah. But look what it says in chapter 37, verse 26. What is it? What are the first two words of chapter uh, 37, verse 26? Judah said, Judah said to his brothers, what will we gain if we kill our brother and cover up his blood? Come, let's sell him to the Ishmaelites and not lay our hands on him. After all, he's our brother, our own flesh and blood, and his brothers agreed. Okay, so we see here that Judah had the opportunity because his brothers listened to him. He had the opportunity to save Joseph altogether. He had the opportunity to plead Joseph's case and then to even be able to say, hey, you know what? Forget all this mess about killing our brother. He's our brother, right? Not that we're going to put all the blame on Judah. There were 11 other brothers that could have said something, that could have done something. But here, we're going to see that Judah says, hey, let's not kill him. So let's give him some credit for that, right, y'all? Let's give him some credit for that. That he didn't, he didn't allow his brothers to kill his baby brother. Um, but at the same token, Judah sells his brother into slavery. And he goes along with this plot. He goes along with this plan. How many of you know that a sin of commission is just the same as a sin of what? Omission. Okay, the sin of commission is something that we do knowingly. We can we might premeditate something, think of something to do. And there's also omission, which means that the sin of omission is we should have done something. We should have said something, should have stuck up for him. Maybe we could have done something else to prevent this, that or the other. We should have fed the homeless person, should have given the person a jacket that I ha that we had on. Should have pulled over and bought some food. That's called the sin of omission. 
Because we're going to live in such a way where God spoke, he showed us something, and then we failed to act. We failed to obey. Okay, and that is called the sin of omission. And so we see here that Judah is committing a sin of omission in the fact that he had an opportunity to completely save or deliver his brother from going into the whole uh, tailspin of life that we know now about Joseph. Nonetheless, we look back and we say that was the will of God for Joseph's life. Amen, church? So we see here that Joseph said, right? And Joseph, excuse me, Judah said, Judah said. And now here in verse 3, it says, Judah said to him, the man warned us solemnly. And when Judah says the man, who is the man that he is talking about, church? Who? Who's his brother? Joseph. The very one that he was talking about in chapter 37 when Judah said. Judah said to him, the man, Joseph, because he didn't know yet at this moment that the man was Joseph. If you're coming into the, this scripture or this passage not understanding what we're talking about, this is Judah now recounting or telling a story to his father Jacob, who's now questioning him about everything that took place in Egypt. And he's telling the story of what, took, what happened. He said, you will not see my face again unless your brother is with you. If you will send our brother along with us, we will go down and buy food for you. But if you will not send him, we will not go down because the man said to us, you will not see my face again unless your brother is with you. Okay? And the brother that Judah is referring to is the baby brother, and that was Benjamin. Ben-Hamin. Another Hebrew way is Ben, I believe it's Ben-Omi. And we're going to see here how since Jacob lost his, his youngest son, who was Joseph, way back when, he was going to go to the, the furthest extreme to protect his youngest child to never let that happen to his baby boy Benjamin like it happened to his son Joseph who was killed and mauled by an imaginary beast. Are you guys following? So he's not going to allow his youngest son out of his sight. How many of us have ever become overprotective of our children, our baby, knowing, guess what? There's come, there comes a point in time where we're going to have to entrust them into the Lord's hands. Amen? Um, and that's a good thing. So we see here, Jacob was struggling to entrust Benjamin into someone else's hands, let him out of his sight, because he, he does not want um, this to happen to his son, Benjamin. Israel, or Jacob, verse 6, asked, Why did you bring us this trouble? By telling the man that you had another brother. And they replied, The man questioned us closely about ourselves and our family. Is your father still living? He asked. Do you have another brother? Because at this point, Joseph knew, because he had recognized them, right, you guys? Joseph knew. But he's now inquiring them, asking them questions that they had to answer. We simply answered his questions. 
How are we to know he would say, bring your brother down here? Oh, he wanted to see his brother Benjamin. He wanted to see his baby brother. There's another reason why it was so significant. Because they shared the same mother. And Joseph did not share this same attribute with his other brothers who were half-brothers from different mothers. But this was his brother from the same mother, right? And all of Joseph's life, he had to wonder about his brother. He missed his brother. He was estranged from his brother, from his brothers. I don't know how much he missed them because of what they had done to him. I'm sure he missed his father. Of course, his mother had passed on. And he was aware of that. So let's continue. Judah said to his father, Israel, send the boy along with me and we will go at once. Here we go, church. It's about to pick up. The story is about to pick up here in chapter 43. So that we and you and our children may live and not die. And he's talking about the famine. I myself will guarantee his safety. You can hold me personally responsible for him. If I do not bring him back to you and set him before you, I will bear the blame before you all my life. As it is, if we had not delayed, we could have gone and returned twice. Okay, pause here for a moment. We're reading now here in verses 9 and 10 that there is a tremendous change. There's a shift in Judah's disposition. And this is an opportunity for Judah to redeem himself. This is an opportunity for Judah to act differently than what he did in the previous chapters. This is an opportunity for him to right a wrong. Joseph didn't know that Judah was the one responsible for it causing him to be sold into slavery. Probably didn't know the fullness of the whole story, right? But we, the readers, we, the recipients of the Word of God, we, the audience that the author of Genesis, Moses, is writing to, can see that there is a change in Judah's life. There's an integrity by which Judah is living by now. Because instead of one day being the one to cause this tragedy towards his brother, he is now sticking up for his brother Benjamin and says, I will vouch for him. I will personally guarantee that nothing will happen to my brother Benjamin. And now he's about to be a part of God's plan for redeeming his people. Isn't that pretty cool? Can we hang out there for a moment on Judah Island? Okay, let's talk about Judah. Judah is the kind of person in your life, it might be you or it might be somebody else, that has made a terrible mistake in the past. And it's been so, so difficult, so, so difficult for us to be able to see that person in a different light. It's been so difficult for us to not continue to treat that person or those individuals in a a certain way because of something that they did before. It's hard to to 
to redefine. It's hard for us to undo something that has already been done. But how many of you know there's a saying? We can't, what? Erase the past. We can't go back, can we, church? But what can we do? You and I, if we've ever been in the, in the, in the shoes of Judah, we can recognize our shortcomings. We can recognize the things that we have done in the past that have caused us sleepless nights. The things that we have regretted. The decisions that we have made that we have to live with. Can I ask a show of hands? If there is anybody here tonight that has ever done something and made a decision that you have had to live with to this day and it still haunts you. Raise your hand. Look around, church. Praise the Lord. We're all truth tellers and truth bearers. Because the fact that we are recognizing that we have all made mistakes, the fact that we are all recognizing that we have fallen short of the glory of God and that we have missed the mark, guess what? Is the first step to salvation. It's the first step in recognizing that we cannot save ourselves, that we are not perfect, so we don't have to be riding on our, our, our high horse anymore. We can let ourselves down from that, that high place that we've placed ourselves on, stop judging other people, and be humble and remember that all fall short of the glory of God. And it's only because of Jesus that we have the opportunity to be redeemed. It's only because of Jesus and the blood of Jesus, the blood of the Lamb, that has pardoned us or forgiven us of our sins. So let's talk about Judah. Judah caused his brother to be sold into slavery. We can't erase that fact. But now Judah has the opportunity to step in, to make things right, to speak up on behalf of his brother Benjamin and not allow something to happen to Benjamin. Not even knowing. Watch this, you guys. This is an interesting point here. If you have a, a notebook, if you have your, your phone, you can write this down. Judah did not even know that by him stepping in and convincing his father to allow him to make the trip back up to Egypt with his brother, it was going to change the whole sequence of events for the whole people of Israel. Isn't that pretty cool? So in other words, Judah didn't do it because he was looking to get anything out of it. Judah was simply at a place in his life where he, was, he had learned from his mistakes and he was at a place where he was making the right decisions. I'm not done talking about Judah. Let me go to my notes. If you want to write some of these things down, go ahead. Judah was one of Leah's six sons born to Jacob. You can reference Genesis 29, verse 35. His name means praise. For this time I will praise the Lord, she said. He's also known for saving Joseph's life, 
right? We talked about that and arguing for selling him instead of killing him, according to Genesis chapter 37. But then there's a, there's a turn in Judah's life. He's one of the first of his brothers, you guys, to leave the pack. He leaves his brothers and moves on to marry a Canaanite woman. Moses wasn't too pleased about the woman that he married. And it's proven in the fact that this woman that Judah marries never has a name. It says that she was the daughter of Shua, a Canaanite man. So he marries outside of the people of Israel, marries this woman. Doesn't give her her name. I put in my notes, that's pretty lame. She should have still had a name. And it was frowned upon by the people of Israel at this point to marry outside of the people of Israel because they had become a, for a formidable people, right? And there was plenty of relatives, all right, and people within their clan that they could have married, right? And this was, this was the, the, the time where God was forming them, all right, and creating a type of, um, type of clan. Let's continue. Judah also had trouble making grandchildren. You're like, what do you mean making grandchildren? Well, his first son was named Er, or Er, E-R. And the Bible says that he was wicked in the sight of God, and God caused him to die. Because he did not want to have children with his wife, Tamar, or Tamar. Everybody say Tamar. Didn't want to have a child with her. Okay, and according to Jewish midrash or tradition, the thought was that he did not want her to have to have children so that it wouldn't change her figure. Her, her looks, her beauty would not change. And he re, so he refused to be fruitful and multiply, which was the custom of all the people of God, according to the creation account of the book of Genesis. How many of you are tracking with me, church? And because of that, he was wicked and found wicked in the eyes of God. All right? Now, now, the Jewish tradition was because they were meant to bear children. They were married. If the husband died, if he had a brother, the next brother in line would lay with the wife, the widow, in order to allow her to bring forth the child. And in those days, sorry ladies, preferably a male. That's just the way it was. So there was always this high significance or this high meaning, okay, on um, bearing children. You can read it in Scripture. If a woman didn't have a child, um, a lot of times it says that she was shunned or she became the, the butt of many jokes, right? People would mock and say, oh, there's the woman, the woman who bears no, ch no child. And she, her, she, her name would take on a different meaning. It was very, very sad. All right. So, but Tamar was now expecting that her brother-in-law, Onan, everybody say Onan, that her brother-in-law, Onan, would lay with her and give her a child. Well, this is where we get the, the um, occurrence of, or, or the, um, I, don't, I don't know exactly how, how to put it, but it's called onanism. Everybody say onanism. Onanism is when um, during sexual intercourse, close mijo's ears, all right? 
the seed is not planted in the womb, all right? And the person refrains from sexual intercourse at that, at that point, all right? And the semen is spilled on the ground on purpose. It's called onanism. And so when, when, when God saw that Onan was evil and wicked, not fulfilling his responsibility, okay, to allow his, his uh, sister-in-law to bring forth a child, the Lord punished him as well, punishes him as well, all right? So in, in this particular story in the life of Judah, he's like, man, I'm, we're struggling to have grandkids here, all right? And then he has a younger son, all right, named Shelah or Shelah, but he's a young boy. So he goes to Tamar and he says, hey, if you wait until Sheila is of age, maybe he can help you provide offspring. She's like, man, I'm going to be sitting here waiting forever. I'm becoming an old mate by that, maiden by that time. So she says, forget that. I'm taking things into my own hands. And the scriptures, the way they shed light on what Tamar does is not necessarily in a bad light. But there's actually a positive light because she she acted rightly by tricking Judah into sleeping with her as she pitches a tent down the road. Judah leaves, all right? By this time, his wife has had already passed away as well. And he's on a road heading out of town. He sees her. Scripture says that she covered her face, all right? And it says that she acted as a prostitute. Judah, against his better judgment, sleeps with her. All right? She becomes impregnated by Judah. Now, I talked about something earlier that I hope you were paying attention to. By this time, Tamar, being a Canaanite, right, um, being one of the neighboring peoples of the Israelites, had already known the significance of the lineage of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. How many of you are following? She understood what it would have meant to have a grandchild, all right, in Judah's line. She understood what it would have meant to be the wife of Er, or of, or having a child with, with Onan. But she doesn't. But she understands the significance. So she goes directly to the source. She, she ends up asking for something in return. He didn't have anything. He says, she says, just, why don't you just give me that staff? Why don't you give me that right there too? And I'll, I'll take that as payment. Fast forward, she, make, she brings it to a head where soon enough, the people there in the tribe of Judah realize that guess what? Tamar is pregnant. They're like, um, what's, what, what's that bump right there? And they say, oh, she's pregnant. By who? Let's kill her. She has, no, she has no husband. My two sons did not provide children for her. My younger son's not of age yet. This woman, she's a, she's a fornicator. She deserves to die. And then she says, oh, yeah, those who accuse me need to know this. The person who has impregnated, impregnated me owns this. And it was the staff that belonged to Judah. 
So whereas Judah was going to stone her, he's being brought onto the carpet. And then he, at that moment as well, Judah has got to fess up and own up to what he has done. All resulting in Tamar providing an heir within the line of Abraham that goes all the way through the lineage of King David and on to guess who? The Messiah. So Tamar, a Canaanite woman, a Gentile, somebody say Gentile. A Gentile, you guys, is grafted into the lineage of Jesus way back when. And it wasn't all, you know, peaches and it wasn't all roses. It wasn't all a perfect story. There was a whole lot of dysfunction back there, wasn't it? I'm sharing all this backstory because I want us to understand that Judah has gone through quite some things. And now we see here that he's now in the process of redeeming himself and his family by stepping up and speaking up on behalf of Benjamin. All right? Okay, so this is a key turning point for Judah. All right? And that is why I would like for us to understand that the concept of repentance, repentance comes from the Greek word, which means metanoia. All right? Metanoia is repentance. Okay? Metanoeo is the Greek verb for repentance, which is to repent. But in the Hebrew, okay, scriptures, which is the whole Old Testament, we're not going to find the word um, repent or repentance a whole lot. But we're going to find a different term, a different word. And it's the word turn. Okay, the word turn. All right, or to, to turn around. All right, and when we see the word turn, or turn around, that's where we understand the full meaning of what it means to repent. Okay? And it appears one over 1,000 times in the Scriptures, both in the Old Testament and in the New Testament, whenever somebody turns, whenever somebody makes a change, whenever somebody is heading in one direction and turns around and does an about-face, all right, that is what repentance means. So, coming back to... Boots on the ground for us. Is there an area of your life, an area of my life, where God has allowed us to make a change, to turn, to make something right, to make a wrong right, just like Judah? Men, this is important for us to understand as Christians. Because it's important that we both understand what it means to repent. It also is important for us to understand what forgiveness is all about. Because we're reading the story of the bigger story here in Genesis about Joseph. And jo one of the greatest principles and attributes of Joseph's life is forgiveness. How in the world did Joseph forgive his brothers? How in the world would Joseph ever find it in himself to overcome that setback? I got a quick story. 
and then we'll lift up, we'll take up our offering, and then we'll go, we'll go until 8:10. I got a quick story. How life events and circumstance can cause people to go in one of two directions. When somebody experiences success, they either become even bigger jerks when they have even more success, or they truly become humbled and realize the significance of what they've been blessed with when they experience success. And they're, they're moved in the direction of humility and understanding what it means to be gracious to themselves and to others, more importantly. There was a time when I was playing baseball in single A in Wilmington, North Carolina. Okay, about a couple of hours from Charlotte, North Carolina, where my brother David and his family are going to be moving in a couple months. And I'm, I'm rocking my, my Carolina Panther sweater tonight. In Wilmington, North Carolina, I was playing in the Dodgers single-A affiliate. And in one of our home series, there was a major leaguer who was playing with us. His name was Tom Goodwin. And Tom Goodwin was one of the fastest players in the major league. You can look him up, Tom Goodwin. And he was on a rehab assignment because he was coming back from an injury. Well, when major leaguers are recovering from injury, they don't go right back to the big leagues because they're not ready yet. They need to face some pitching. They need to get back into the swing of things. They need to get back into a rhythm. And then they, go, they get called back up to the big leagues once they um, overcome their setback. Well, Tom Goodwin was rehabbing with us. He was on a rehab assignment. And everybody in the minor league knows whenever there's a big leaguer in town, guess what? You get steak for dinner. You get the best spread, and the meals are amazing. Because these dudes are millionaires. So whenever they're in town, they pick up the tab. Normally, we'll have leftover hot dogs from the snack bar when you're in the minor leagues. You get, you got uh, burnt or old frostbitten hamburgers with a whole bunch of ketchup and mustard slathered on it to cover up the terrible taste. Well, we didn't so much have steak, but we did have hamburgers, fries that were all ordered from one of the big, huge uh, hamburger um, chains there in, in North Carolina. We walked in after the game. I don't even remember if we won or lost, but we were all in the locker room. <clears throat> my brother David happened to be visiting and spending a whole week, week with me and my buddies. He was in college at the time, and I just... I just loved whenever my brothers would come and, and join me, whether I was in spring training or on the road. They would be, we, we'd go and do everything. They'd hang out in the, in the locker room, hang out in the dugout. Coaches didn't mind. It was, it, was, it was family like that. Well, we walked in, and on about two or three tables, there was a whole bunch of burgers, double cheeseburgers. And then on another, another table, there was probably like 30 orders of French fries, and then on another table, there was a whole bunch of Sprite, Coke, Diet Coke, you name it. It was like, go and grab and get whatever you want. So all the guys were getting their food. Everybody was eating. My brother walked in. Hey, bro, hook, hook it up, man. There's a whole bunch. There's, there's plenty. Well, one guy, I won't say his name, 
but he was one of the, the biggest you-know-whats on the team. You can fill in the, the blank. And he said to my brother, hey, don't be afraid to go and buy your own food. What the heck do you think this is? And all the guys were kind of, they all knew the kind of guy that he was. But I was kind of hoping to wait, wait for a chuckle or, yeah, I'm just messing with you. It didn't happen. And I looked, I looked over across the locker room. I said, are you serious, bro? He goes, yeah, man. And he, he stammered a, a couple of expletives, a couple of choice words, uh, some colorful vocabulary, and turned his back and scoffed at my brother having a cheeseburger or fries and a drink. My brother, being a guest of mine, was so embarrassed. So embarrassed. He put it back and he's like, oh, I'm so, kind of so sorry. It didn't help that my brother David had just gotten bitten by a spider and his left eye was looked like Rocky Balboa in the Rocky boxing movie. His eye was this big. He got bit by, by a spider. So he was over there kind of, you know, not, not really knowing how to feel after having been, been chastised by this other guy who was one of our stars on the team. And at that moment, Half the locker room stopped. One dude went over there and was about to fight him. And I said, bro, don't worry about it, man. Keep yourself. He's like, nah, man, it's cool. I get it. I said, all right, we'll go and we'll buy something after we leave this place. And forget that guy. Well, guess what, you guys? Half the team got their burger, their fries, and their drink and brought it all over to my brother. And in front of him, he had like 10 burgers, 10 fries. 10 drinks, and that, you know what, over there in the corner, it was just looking on, just kind of snaring, and just like, man, whatever. But I tell you what, about eight years later, I was at Dodger Stadium. The Dodgers were playing the Astros. One of my buddies was in the freeway series. My best friend's Gary Patchett, playing shortstop for the Angels at that time. I got me some tickets to the game, so I went with my mom. And sure enough, coming out of the Dodgers dugout was guess who? Our good buddy. Our, our, our friend who was stingy with burgers and fries. And he looked over the dugout, and my first thought was, I wanted to turn the other way and, and just like, I, I can still remember. I can still see him. I want to punch that guy in the face right now. And guess what he did? Canales! And his face lit up. Man, it's how many years has it been? He jumped over the gate, ran up above the dugout. Is my mom here? I, don't know. I just saw her walk in. My mom is my witness. She's over there. Came over, gave me the biggest hug. We shot the breeze for about five to ten minutes, and I was just like, God, is this really happening? You really want me to forgive this guy, don't you? And I learned a life lesson. You know, sometimes when people aren't threatened so much, and they come to a different place in their life, and things change, God was seeing if I was able to forgive that brother. And even though... The likes of my story today may show that I still have something against him. I really don't because God used him to teach me a great big lesson.
<laughs> yeah, Mama Lisa. <laughs> well, my brother's now in North Carolina, and he's doing big things, so praise God. I'm sure, he, I'm sure he's seen my brother and, and remembered what he said about burgers and fries. Um, so let God have the last word. But it reminded me of the story of Joseph. That Joseph, although he had all the power in the world to do whatever he wanted towards his brothers, he could have killed them. He could have caused them to have to go into a lifetime of slave labor. But he didn't. He was moved to compassion. He forgave them. He was able to see them in a different way. Amen? Um, I see that in Joseph. And I see what he did. And it reminded me of Matthew chapter 18, verse 22, which says, when Peter asked Jesus, should we forgive somebody when they sin against us? And Jesus says, we should forgive someone 70 times 7 in response to Peter's question. And if you, if you call yourself a Christian, if I call myself a Christian, God's called us to forgive. Ooh, that's hard. But Jesus says, unless you forgive your brother, your sister who has sinned against you. The Father will not forgive you of your sin. That's biblical. And that's truth. It may not tickle your ears. But I hope it makes you a better Christian. Because it's, it's got to hurt. Forgiving someone who has wronged us has got to hurt. Otherwise, it wouldn't be right. So church, we're going to wrap up there. There's so much more I, I could say and so much more that I can go on. I'm gonna, but I'm going to invite the ushers to come forward. We're going to collect up the offering. I'm going to ask Brother Leuven back there on the ones and twos to cue up a tune. We got Sister Araceli, Sister Rachel who are coming forward. Brother Dennis is on his way out. Love you, Brother Dennis. Church, I'm going to ask us all to stand as we ask God's blessing over this tithe and this offering. We're going to end right there, but I'm going, to, I'm going to ask these three questions to us. Is there an area of our lives that we have repented of and have made a conscious decision to do differently from now on? And I want to ask you, how would you do differently if given the opportunity again? What would you do differently if you were given the opportunity that you had before when, when we fell short? How would you do it differently? I learned one thing from my brother, Pastor Joe. He says, one of the things that he does at the end of each day is he thinks about his whole day from beginning to end, and he has a self-checkpoints, okay? What about this? What about that conversation? Check my own heart. Check this. Check that. Check that. Just a way of checking our own hearts, a way for us to look back and to say, how could I have done that differently? All right. 
if that situation arises or happens again, what will I do the next time? All right, that's, that's the first question. The second question, should we allow others to be different and see the change that they have become? Or should we continue to see them in the light that we have saw them, that we have seen them before, but not giving them the chance to change our minds about them? You, did you follow that question? I know it's a little wordy. It's a little wordy, but have we given others the opportunity to change who they have become in our eyes? And that's biblical, okay? And that's tough. And the last question, how do you see the way Joseph handled the situation with his brothers? How do you see it? What type of impact does it make in, in your life and in my life? I want us to walk away with these questions. Number one, right? If there's something that we've already repented of, how would we do it different next time? Number two, would you allow somebody to change the viewpoint that we have of them? And number three, how, do you, how did Joseph's life and his ability to forgive his brothers impact you in your Christian walk. Amen. Father, we thank you for tonight. We thank you for your word. We thank you for the, the tithe and the offering that we're about to receive and collect, Father God. We thank you for the great works that you're doing in our church. We thank you for those who are going to be baptized this Sunday. We thank you, Father God, for our united service this Sunday. It's going to be a blessing. We pray all this in Jesus' name. And the people of God said... <laughs>